0: Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 sports. We're coming to you on a Monday morning. It's our Sunday podcast coming on a Monday. More travel for Kevin this weekend. Not me. I was back in Lawrence watching Kansas demolish UCF. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of that game here in a minute. But Kevin, I know you were down there in Dallas, right? at At the Texas State Fair to watch Texas versus Oklahoma as for the last time, maybe as big 12 teams, we'll see what happens in December, but sure. what was it like for you uh, over the weekend? And I guess, how are you able to watch the KU game? You watched it yesterday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wound up, uh, wound up saving the KU game and, and watching it, but, uh, but yeah, I've, I've been to a few of those things and, and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of funny because my wife and I went down to KU Texas and Austin, as you know, and, um, and, and, my wife was talking to her dad about it and her dad was just, you know, kind of dropped the whole, well, you know, I've always wanted to go see Texas OU. And I mean, he's mentioned it before, but mm-hmm. in this case, I think he got a sympathetic ear from my wife who uh, who wound up picking up the tickets, you know, it's kind of a bucket list thing for him. Mm-hmm. And so went with uh, the wife and, and the two parents-in-law and went to the Texas state fair and got to see a, a pretty crazy crazy game and ending and everything. And so it was, uh, it was pretty cool, but I I will tell you, uh, I know you'll, uh, you'll crack up about this. You're another person who does not like to be disconnected from the world. Mm. Um, You do not get great service there. And so especially we're wandering around the fair after the game Mm. and Swain, I must've checked my phone about 35 times to try and pick up the KU score at various parts. And, had no success and and finally you know by the time I did we were uh we were in one of those little like arts and crafts tents or something that came up and saw that the Kansas almost won by 30 points and was kind of like wow that's that's a result right there so right. Uh, obviously you being a- on hand what was what was kind of your first takeaway like what was yeah what was the main thing you thought about watching that thing go down
0: UCF looked like a group of five team. I think that's the biggest thing that stood out. You know, you go from KU playing in Texas, that mammoth offensive line and defensive line. And I know you saw them in person, right? But sure. and then to watch KU line up against UCF, where um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but basically, UCF is the smallest offensive line that's not Missouri State and not Nevada that KU's played all season. Like they are small. And their defensive line is pretty small as well. They've got one of the best defensive ends in the country, but outside of that, it's just not great. And I think that for me was the biggest thing is that, you know, from the get-go, right, it was pretty apparent that KU was the bigger team, the, the more strong team, and the more physical team. And you mentioned, right, not not checking your, your phone for updates. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like this, if, you, if there's a game, you did not need to check your phone for updates. <laughs> it was this one, because I think as soon as Kansas got up, You know, by two scores, at least for me, like it felt like, okay, yeah, KU's going to win this game. Let's start trying to figure out what the post-game kind of angles are going to be. And so I think it was just one of those where from the get-go, you kind of had a feeling that, hey, all right, this is kind of going in KU's favor. And there was that weird moment, too, with John Rice Plumley, Like this first throw of the game, like does a little jump throw and then lands on his knee weird. And then he's still in the game for way longer than it felt like he should have been. And then Timmy McClain comes in. And then I think you see why they were so reluctant to put Timmy and McClain back in the game. So it was just kind of a it was a weird game a little bit, just the way it kind of all played out, because it felt like the game was kind of over by the end of kind of the or really the middle of the second quarter, because KU took so much time up in the first quarter.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too. And full disclosure, you know, one of the things that I write every week that you should absolutely probably never bet off of is an upset alert. (laughs) where I look at at teams that, you know, are uh, basically are are underdogs in the spread. It doesn't have to be by much. And, you know, just games where you feel like the ingredients are there to have an upset. And in some cases, we feel like the team that's the underdog, you know, maybe should have been favored. And, you know, the full disclosure part of this is I'm writing that thing. And, and, you know, I I shoot Swain a message or I, I called you, right? Yeah. And I said, you know, at that point, it was apparent that Jalen wasn't going to play. And the spread had gone from KU being favored by a few points to UCF by a few points. And the both of us were kind of like, are we reading this thing wrong? Because it just felt like Kansas is so good at running the ball and finding different ways to run the ball. If you find a way to stop one of them, they're going to do something else and still run the ball. And UCF cannot stop the run. And so both of us kind of felt like heading in, I don't want to say we thought Kansas would, would win by that margin, but we thought it was a matchup that was very favorable for mm-hmm. Kansas and that what Kansas wanted to do, UCF was going to be bad at stopping. And certainly that's the way it turned out. Well, and let's talk about the spread then,
0: because I thought that was so fascinating. And probably yeah, I find the way that Vegas spreads move indicative of what the public thinks about the team hmm. and i think it's pretty apparent that the public thinks jalen daniels missing a game means KU's going to suck and you know because you look at what happened last year right and i under i'd understand it too if you're joe schmo living on the east coast and all you do is kind of watch college game day or big noon or whatever in the morning and then you kind of just scoreboard watch throughout the game like or throughout the day like Last season, you would have seen KU start really strong, right? Jalen Daniels gets all the hype, and then college game day goes to Lawrence, Kansas. And then uh, they play the game, and then Jalen goes out. Jason plays well, but then they lose a bunch of games. And I think the casual fan probably that doesn't know anything about Kansas football probably thinks, oh, quarterback's done. UCF's getting their quarterback back. KU sucks. UCF's going to win. Without maybe knowing that KU defensively is so much better. That KU, I think, just as a team physically, is so much better, and KU on special teams is so much better. And so I thought that was so fascinating, and I had a had some fun with it on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was just ridiculous that KU was an, a home underdog against a group of five team. Well, that's what I'm, UCF is, and that's what Houston is, and that's what Cincinnati you know. is. They're a group of five teams. And
1: I'm sure we're going to get into the rushing attack here, mm. in a but. One of my takeaways watching it, too, and we talked about this in the show, the difference that having a week of preparation makes for a quarterback is so big. And it was one of the reasons that I feel like we were maybe a little more hesitant to pile on Jason Bean, even when he struggled against Texas. One, Mm -hmm. Texas is really good. I mean, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma loss aside, you realize Texas lost the turnover battle three zip got stuffed on you know, a goal line stand from the one with four plays from the, either the one or the two-yard line. And there was a play where Quinn Ewers had a wide-open guy for a touchdown that he just didn't see. And Texas lost by four when a guy threw a touchdown pass with 15 seconds left. So Texas is still really, really good. Mm-hmm. And to find out 30 minutes before that game when you haven't been getting the refs all week, when you haven't been getting the preparation all week, that's such a tough situation for a quarterback, and especially in a game like that where Kansas was going to need its quarterback to make plays. That was not going to be one where Kansas was going to line up on Texas and run the ball for 300 yards. And so what a difference to me a week makes. And I know people will look at Bean's numbers and say, oh, you know, he didn't do a whole lot. You know, he had, you know, 91 yards passing. You know, he – Didn't have a, didn't have a ton of rushing yards, obviously sacks, you know, count into that and everything, but you know, you look at the, he had the 17 yard run, I think on third down, right. To convert a a third down, he was pretty accurate. You know, the throws that he made were good. And even beyond that, I don't think a lot of people realize how much management a quarterback does, even when you're running the ball in terms of saying, Hey, they're stacked up on the left. Let's change this thing to the right. Hey, you know, it looks like this play isn't going to work. Let's, let's get out of this. And and I thought, you know, for a game where Kansas was going to line up and really run the ball, I I thought Bean played a really nice, efficient ball game.
0: Yeah. And that's something that Lane Slypold kind of mentioned post game is maybe one of the biggest areas where Jason Bean has improved is that it's the understanding of what Kansas is trying to do offensively, where, managing the clock right you don't snap the ball until it's less than 10 seconds left on the play clock you make sure that everyone gets to the line early so that you're not rushing late on and guys can do the motions and he -hmm. can get the right looks and it was kind of the the perfect game almost where in the first half right you needed jason to complete some throws and he did right there's that big throw to luke grim um that helps them on the scoring drive and when kansas needed jason bean to throw the ball he threw the ball and he looked pretty good doing it and so I think it's one of those games where I think after that Texas loss, right? And the performance Jason Bean had, and everybody talked about it this week too, right? He wanted to be better. He knew he had to be better and he was going to be better. Well, this is kind of one of those kind of stepping stone games, I feel like, in terms of building some confidence back where now I think Jason Bean should have some momentum going into this Oklahoma State game. And I think just offensively for KU is the perfect game plan, right? From the get-go, run at UCF, make them tackle you. Kevin, the uh, this is why I love some of the pro football focus stuff because they have some fun stats you can find out. So KU ran for 399 yards. Well, yep. I believe 185 of those yards came after contact, hmm. which is not quite half, but just under half. And it's just insane that that's how physical Kansas was. The guys like Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw were just breaking arm tackles and getting an extra four or five yards. Feeling, you know, what felt like every single time they touched the ball. I mean, Daniel Hineshaw was out
1: there ending careers. (laughs) I mean, with the way he was running over guys, you know, that where you have to have to quit over after that. But you think about it 185 yards, that's a good rushing day. Take out the yards after contact. Like if you line up and you run for 185 on somebody, you're doing something right. And that's the 185 after contact. You know, it, it's so funny. We talked before the season, it, and we talked about how everybody was saying, "Oh, the defense is going to be improved," and it is. We thought the special teams would maybe even make a bigger jump than the defense because it's easier to turn around a, a special teams unit, I feel like, than you know, than the defense. And, and Kansas's special teams last year were worse than the defense. It, it sounds amazing to say. But the other thing that we talked about improving on offense particularly, we felt like Kansas was going to really push and try to get the ability to run the ball on somebody when Kansas wants to run the ball and when the other team knows you want to run the ball. And this was a situation in the game where UCF knew all game what Kansas wanted to do. It wasn't a secret. No, And Kansas lined up and and still just ran the ball right over them. You know, I'm trying to think. I think it was one of Highshaw's touchdown runs, and it was a shorter run. Um, A guy got through. They blocked everybody around, and there was a guy who met Highshaw in the hole, and Highshaw scored, you know, four yards that way. And and so when you looked at how physical they were being up front, you Mm -hmm. know, the way that they were – displacing people, opening things up, you know, all of that. The runners were physical behind that. And, and I thought the other part, of, and Lance Leipold mentioned this, you know, and maybe when you block that way, they don't get enough credit. The tight ends were outstanding, I thought, in, in blocking and really helping to, to pave the way. And, and, you know, Kansas has some bigger bodied tight ends, and, and those guys got out there and and they moved guys around as well. Yeah,
0: one hundred percent. And I think someone like Mason Fairchild, this is the kind of the game where you see so much of his improvement, right? Yep. he gets the three receptions that are, are pretty big, and it, they're not huge receptions, but it felt like, or and huge in terms of yards, but in terms of the moments in the game, it felt like they were pretty sizable. But I think for him, it's right. It's the blocking and the ability to be a consistent blocker where. In 2021, he was like a D minus blocker. I think last year he was like a B minus blocker. And I think this year there's been even more improvement where you notice him so much more sealing off the edge and knocking guys back and and creating extra runway. And I thought this was another really good game for Jared Casey. We've not had the big Jared Casey catch yet this year. I feel like that's going to come in the second part of the season where either a fourth down or a big moment case he's going to come up with the catch but i think he's quietly having a really impactful season again is is kind of a a fullback right that's kind of the role he's taking on where he's paving the way for for the running game and the part that i think it speaks the most about how dominant kansas was is the second half stats yeah he threw the ball twice in the second half and gained 270 yards Everybody in the stadium knew KU was going to run the ball. You know, UCF knew KU was going to run the ball, and they still couldn't stop them. Like, I think that for me is super impressive that KU in situations where, again, UCF's not the biggest, not the most physical, and not the best defense they'll play. But, again, just to do it in a game, in a Big 12 game, right, like I thought that was super impressive that in the second half, everybody knew what was coming, and UCF could do nothing about it.
1: And three different running backs. I mean, obviously, you know it's you're used to seeing Devin Neal be be a star guy, and I think he's averaging almost eight yards of carry on the season this Mm -hmm. year. Highshaw's averaging almost seven yards, or right Mm -hmm. around seven yards, for the season, and and then Dylan McDuffie, you know, as that third back running for for seven yards of carry, rushing for ninety one yards and two touchdowns, kind of a breakout in a Kansas uniform. You know, for, for him. I mean, that that was that was a really nice game all around. I thought, you know, one of the things that, that Leipold talked about afterwards obviously was the unselfishness of the wide receivers. You know, they were blocking downfield and, and they made plays when they needed to make plays. When you look at Luke Grimm having sort of the toe-tap catch, you know, along the sidelines early and and later caught a, a pretty good size, you know, flag route out there. And, and I think as much as we talk about you know the the running backs and the physicality and everything there one of the more physical plays that you saw was Lawrence Arnold's touchdown catch yeah where he caught the ball and just sort of held the ball one armed across the the line you know he bullied that guy mm-hmm. for that touchdown catch and you know it was it was a really impressive physical effort by the offense all the way through and and one of those things where I think, you know, if if you're UCF, you just come out of that thing, you know, feeling like you just got the dog beat out of you.
0: Yeah, UCF's probably pretty happy they've got a bye week this week. I mean, yeah, Kevin, I was looking at their schedule. They are not gonna win many games this year. Like they're lucky if they go to a bowl game. They've got Oklahoma next at home. So that'll be an interesting game. Um let's get to I think the defense, which for me sure. was really impressive one of the things i had the biggest concern about going into this game was how can ku keep up with the up-tempo offense right because oklahoma torched ku last year texas tech torched ku last year i think both texas games in the last 12 months when texas has gone up-tempo it's really given ku some fits and the question for me was going to be well how can they slow it down and the answer was well just stop them on first down you know I don't know the exact yardage that UCF averaged on first down, but it felt like one, maybe two yards all game. Like this wasn't a situation where UCF was able to get downhill consistently. Gabe's defense did enough. And those running backs for UCF are really, really good. And they're guys that love to bounce the ball to the outside and, and really try and attack one-on-one matchups. And yet it felt like anytime they bounced it to the outside, there were three guys there waiting to go and gang tackle them, which – I think it's such a huge contrast to the Texas game where it felt like too many times it was one on one, one guy trying to tackle a, an elite skill position player from Texas. And I feel like just generally the defensive effort, obviously it's easier when it's, you know, 68 degrees outside or 60 degrees outside and it's not 100 degrees. And you're not playing for 40 minutes, but still, I thought the defensive effort was really improved. And I think that's a big reason why they were able to keep UCF from really gaining a lot of momentum until, I mean, it was 31, nothing.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, you know, sort of making, you know, noticing bigger themes or whatever from this Mm. game. I I thought not only was Kansas really physical, I thought Kansas looked more athletic than UCF did and UCF. This is a team that looked more athletic than Kansas state a few weeks ago. Mm. And and Kansas state really kind of struggled to, to keep up with uh, with that athleticism at times. And, defensively you talked about that i i thought you know when they sub guys through they had kind of mixed results at, at times a little bit i, I thought kansas's starters were really really good but you know what second week in a row or, or two out of the last three weeks i think it was because it was against byu the jason gilliam has a really nice play it, it's kind of kind of funny because you know that's one of those question marks where coming out of this year, I I think, and, you know, obviously we want to talk mostly about this season. It's only half done, but I think who is going to play that Hawk spot, I think was a major question Mm -hmm. for me after this year, because Craig Young is asked to do so much and he does a lot of it really well and does a lot of it to the extent that you don't necessarily notice him all the time. And, um, and, and Gilliam, you know, in, in shutting down what that screen pass on like a third and 12, you know, was was one of those things. It's what, whenever we go to KU camps every summer, right, we see them line up and do one-on-ones and things like that. Well, when the defensive player wins the one-on-one, the very first thing he has to do, it, the ref's not over. Even if he gets the quarterback, he has to plant and sprint back like he's covering a screen, and that was that playing out, right? He was blitzing on that play, couldn't quite get to the quarterback, and then cut back and and was able to get to the screen. I know that's talking about one play, but you're starting to see that depth build a a little bit more every single week. And and I think, like I said, there were some mixed results a little bit. I do think you know Kansas kind of let up maybe a little bit, you know, with, with where the game was at, you're up 31-0. It's really tough to keep your defense, you know, 100% focused in on, on everything. And and I'm sure they'll have some some teaching tape to say, hey, you know, you can't do this. You know, they, they had a blown coverage on the touchdown pass, the tight end, and things like that. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, uh, I thought they they were really, really good. And, and honestly, Swain, one of the things I want to ask you, we talked before the season started about how next year's defensive line has a chance to be really, really good. Mm -hmm. And we said one of the key things for the defense this year is when does the defensive line make that leap? Right. We said, is it in week 10 where you say, Hey, you know, they had a couple weeks where they were really, really good, but I'm really looking forward to seeing them in 2024 Mm -hmm. week four. Do you feel like this defensive line has already made sort of sort of that leap or that step forward where you know it, they've already made that that sizable improvement that we saw coming?
0: I think so. I think it's a group that really even maybe from the start of the season looked like it was ready to go. And I think yeah. the growing pain aspect of it was what I was really interested to see. And look, there are still growing pains. Like Austin Booker is great. He makes a lot of great plays. But if you watch games back – there are still snaps where at least, I mean, look, I'm not an expert. I don't know what the calls yeah. are, but at least it looks like he's a little out of position or takes sure. a bad angle. Right. So there's still moments to clean up, but I think just the flash and the splash plays are, are are there. You know, Devin Phillips is incredible. You know, he doesn't get a lot of tackles and a lot of stuff, but Brian Borland this past week called him kind of the, the most consistent guy on the defensive line. And I'd argue probably the most consistent guy on defense, you know? Yeah. I think the defensive line has been great. I think it's a huge reason why KU has been able to um, be so improved defensively because the linebackers are are more or less the same, right? The safeties are the same. The corners are the same. Everybody has taken a step forward in their individual improvement, right? I'd say everybody has, you know, if you're talking like Madden ratings, right? Everyone's kind of gone up one or two points. But what now has happened is this defensive line has improved so much that it's put those other, you know, seven players – in much more advantageous positions to have success right yeah. they're not having to tackle one on one every single game every single time they run the ball cuz you know this defensive tackle or this defensive end got pinned and doesn't have the athleticism to move you know now it's so much more conducive to a team unit on defense where before it felt like okay there's the defensive line then there's the linebackers and then there's the secondary well, right now it feels like so much more of one kind of cohesive unit altogether. And I think there you're right. The depth is improving along the defensive line, even going you know to the linebacker position where Tywin Berryhill hasn't played really since the Illinois game, right? He yeah. played a little bit against Texas and was kind of getting his footing, but this was kind of his first full game back where you really noticed him. And he goes and I, I believe leads the team in tackles was up there towards the top. Yeah. led yeah. the team in tackles with eight, you know, And this is a guy too that we're talking about, you know, JB Brown three weeks ago was really, really good. And Craig Young is really consistent. He's not getting a lot of stats because teams aren't going after him. So you're seeing all these linebackers now kind of come through. And at the beginning of the season, you felt like KU's got four. And now it feels like there's kind of five and a half with Cornell Wheeler really coming along and Jason Gilliam, I think, giving us some good reps too. And so I think generally, like you look top to bottom on defense and there are the guys who you know what to expect. Week in and week out, you know what Kobe and Melo are going to give you. I think Kenny's been really good this year. I think OJ and Marvin have done a good job. But I look at kind of the second level in terms of the depth chart. Who are those other guys, right? At def- on the defensive line, Gage Keys continues to improve. Austin Booker really flashes. I think Patrick Joyner gives them good reps. There's still um, Dylan Brooks that's developing. Then you go back to you know defensive tackle, right? In the second level. You've got someone like Tommy Dunn playing second team reps right now in Gage Keys. And behind him, Keenan Caldwell has given good reps. So, like, you just look all over the defense right now, and there's just kind of this, the top level is still the top level, right? You know what to expect. But now there are these other guys that I think as this season has gone on, they're building confidence. They're earning trust. They're getting more reps. And they're spelling those first team guys where Rich Miller's not out there playing. 85% 85% of the snaps, 90% of the snaps, right? You can get them off the field a little bit. So I think this game perfectly encapsulates that where you look at the tackles, right? tylen Berryhill who led KU in tackles last week, I believe it was Austin Booker, you know, every single game this year, it feels like there's two or three guys who are popping up at the top of the tackle charts that maybe weren't there the week prior. So I generally, I've been super impressed by this defense and the ability for it to just hang in there. Right, you look at the point total and it's 22 points. Yeah, it could have been better. Sure, the consistency will need to improve, but KU is getting a half, three quarters of really good defensive football. That's a huge improvement to last year, where it was maybe two drives every game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's there's any doubt about that, and, and it. I think the defensive line is one of the things that's allowing this team mm-hmm. to gang tackle, like you talk about. Totally. You know, when Devin Phillips is eating up two blocks, that's somebody that's not blocking somebody else. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you when you look at, at how scared teams are of what Austin Booker can do, because like you said, I mean, there's still a rawness there. There's still plays every week that you look at and you say, okay, that's <laughs> that's not what that's supposed mm-hmm. to look like. But he's such an impactful player in what he does, and it's kind of funny because, you know, because Booker has been so good, I don't know that a lot of people realize, you know, Jeremy Robinson is on pace for 10 tackles for loss and nine sacks. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, you know, that's the kind of season that sometimes, you know, gets you all Big 12 mention, whether that's second team or or whatever else. Austin Booker's on pace for 16 tackles for loss and, you know, and and 10 sacks. And and so when you, when you look at, at those guys together, when you look at the defensive tackle group, which may be the most improved position on the entire team um, top to bottom, it's, it's really impressive. And and I'm I'm glad you brought up Keenan Caldwell because we've talked about him a little bit here, but, You know, he's a guy that came in to be a part of a three-man front is sort of that space-eating nose guard who's, you know, a a two-gap guy. And for those of you who aren't really football people, that that means you stand up over one person and you control the gaps to either side of of that player. And Kansas plays one gap now. And, you know, it it requires a different skill set, a skill set that, quite frankly, guys like Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers are are built more for with their athleticism and things like that. Caldwell stuck through it. He didn't really play a whole lot last year. He's continued to work it, and he's made himself a valuable part of the rotation. And, and I think, you know, it, not to, you know, get on a, a high horse or anything, but I, I think that, but, but I think that those are a lot of the, the kinds of stories that are, that are good to hear about sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, in, in sort of, I'm not saying guys shouldn't be allowed to transfer. I'm not saying any of those things, but the fact that Caldwell was willing to stick it out and continue to work when the opportunity wasn't there, you know, it it is a really positive check mark in in his category. I think.
0: Yeah, and I think Lane Slapwell talks about this a lot. You know, KU's going to use the transfer portal. They are. They're going to use it to fill gaps going forward, but. At the end of the day, I think Lance Leipold wants guys that are going to buy into being in the program for a long period of time, and you couldn't have blamed Keenan. Yeah, if he looked to go elsewhere, right? If he decided, yeah, a different scheme, maybe I'll go find a three-man front somewhere else. But no, he he stuck it out, worked really hard, and now he gets reap the benefits. I think that is what makes I think the program right now so cool. Is there so many stories like that? Guys that have stuck it out and didn't leave the team when other players were brought in to compete for spots they kept fighting and are still able to contribute and help this team i think another guy like that is trevor wilson sure this punt return i mean look yeah okay i called it you're everyone's you're welcome i was right you know (laughs) i'm joking um it's me i'm the problem yeah right
1: but a play like
0: that is so cool it's a guy that, you know, Trevor, he's not getting a ton of reps on offense. Like, he's not every down out there like Lawrence Arnold is or like Quentin Skinner or Luke Grimmar, but he's made the most of his opportunities the last two weeks, right? Yeah. He's wide open against Texas. Jason Bean finds him touchdown. This week, I think Lance Leipold may have had his heart jump in his mouth when he <laughs> tried to return it. Cause I mean, Kevin, have you watched that playback?
1: Like, yeah, oh, that yeah. was,
0: he should have fair caught that. Like, what is he doing? You know, yeah. I was looking down to type something up about, you know, KU taking over. And then I look up and like, he's making a guy miss. And I'm like, whoa, he returned it. Cause hey, like, it's not, you, they,
1: they ask him to. Real, can you find real quick the Terrence Samuel tweet? I, and, I won't be able to
0: pull it up, but yeah, Terrence Samuel basically was like, I, thankfully you didn't listen to me. Cause I think Terrence Samuel was yelling at him. Fair catch. Yeah. Fair catch. catch. fair catch, um, yeah. that's what they want to do. Right. And I think that's a part of the special teams. Revitalization maybe for KU where, sure. I think the guys are smarter now and understand, okay, this is a time to take a risk. And I, I think coaches are probably saying that now is not the time to take a risk, but I think Trevor Wilson must've seen something and he's able to make a play like that. And I think that's another instance of a guy being given a role and being told, Hey, Trevor, this is how you can help the team. Take it or leave it, right? Embrace it. Try to make the most of this opportunity. Maybe you'll earn more snaps on offense eventually, or, don't take it and just, you know, pout about it or whatever. And Trevor clearly has taken it on. And I think that's really cool that he's embraced it because special teams aren't sexy and yet they're a huge part of winning football. And I think you see so many guys now that maybe aren't getting snaps on defense, like a Jalen Dye or, um, you know, an Alex Rach or, you know, I, you can name any one of these guys on special teams that aren't getting the reps on offense or defense, but are finding a way to make an impact on the team. And I think that's really cool, and it speaks to probably the culture of everybody wants to contribute to winning football. It's I not about me, not about my got, stats.
1: I think Daniel Hyshaw got one of the blocks that, that sprung him, if
0: I remember right. I don't think Daniel Hyshaw is on that special teams unit. You're probably talking about Donovan Gaines.
1: Yeah, they, I think you're right, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was it, it was a great block. I mean, it, returns aren't just the returner, obviously. I mm-hmm. mean, you got to block everybody. And speaking of which... We talked about Wilson's return, Kenny Logan's return. They blocked everybody on that thing. Like, I mean, that was that was picture perfect. Just about the way that that thing opened up. It's a shame, you know, the the kind of fluky thing where where he's uh, yeah, Kenny pictures. Logan tries to tries to hurdle his own guy, and the guy's trying to stand up so he can get another block, and and Kenny kind of trips over him. But if you go and watch that again. I mean football coaches say all the time, hat on a hat. And you know, that was absolutely hat on a hat. I mean, they they got out and they they blocked everybody they were supposed to on that kickoff return. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing that can, you know, I realize one was a punt return and one was a kick return. But when you have those kinds of big plays, it energizes your entire team and, and you know, it can be the sort of thing that can inspire more you know, big special teams plays. Yeah. All
0: that. Well, it's funny too, because right, the, the punt return, it takes away an offensive possession, right? And like sure. you get the points for it, but like I, I've got the the full stats here for folks watching on YouTube and like you only outgained UCF by 120 yards, even though they totally dominated. And that's what, you know, a long kick return will do and what a punt return for a touchdown will do. It really skews these stats where it's like, okay, hey, you should have had probably over 600 yards of offense. If all things are kind of normal, right. In terms of the point total you put up and everything, like that's a 600 yard of offense type of game. And yet under 500, it's just yep. interesting how, how these things work. And I guess, Kev, we could probably transition to uh, looking ahead. Unless what other thoughts do you have about this game?
1: Well, the, the only other thing that that was a little bit of a negative, I mean, you have the, the botched extra point and you have the uh, missed yeah. short, miss short field goal. And Kansas has been, you know, so good in those areas. And <laughs> for whatever reason in a game where, where just about everything else went, went right, you know, the you, you have the extra point that leads to two the other way. And then what was it was a 26-yard field goal, I think, that was, that was missed. I mean, it's... Uh, that that was sort of the one area where you looked at it and said, "Man, that's uh, that's not necessarily uh, not necessarily the best thing." But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, it's hard to complain too much when you're you're hitting on so many you know in so many different areas. But yeah, those, that was the only other thing that kind of stood out to me. Like, hey, this is this is something that was a little bit of a uh, little bit of a surprise. Yeah, that was. And I think it knocked KU special
0: teams from being in the top five to any they're now in the top 15, maybe. So it's one of those where, you know, (laughs) the good and bad, I think, of of special teams, but obviously gives them stuff to to work on. So I guess we can probably look ahead to Oklahoma State now. Let's start here. Um, How big would getting bowl eligibility be this week?
1: I think it would be huge in that I think it's the sort of thing I don't want to say it hangs over a team necessarily. And especially I thought it did last year because Kansas got to five so fast. And then you know, Jalen gets hurt, they have all these losses. And so, you know, I, I think everybody was kind of sitting on the edge of their seats, like, are are they gonna get there? Because a five and seven season was obviously a huge improvement over what they would have had. But at the same time, after a 5-0 and start, it would have been a huge disappointment to not be able to go to a bowl game. And so to be able to get that against Oklahoma State was big. But this is a Kansas team that has bigger goals than bowl eligibility. And, you know, people, people laughed him kind of out of the room when he said it. You remember um, Lawrence Arnold said before the Arkansas bowl game that, you know, they wanted to kind of prepare this team to be, you know, sort of a Big 12 title game type team this year or whatever else. And and I'm not saying they've continued to vocalize that or, or anything else, but you assume that they don't want to be six and six again. The, mm-hmm. That's not the goal. And so I think being able to get that win against Oklahoma State, if they're able to, to already be bowl eligible, go into the bye week, sort of refresh expectations, refresh your bodies all those different things and then host Oklahoma and remember last year and you and I have talked about it on here for, for those of you who have been around for for that long, Kansas looked so much more fresh last year coming off of the bye week because last year the Oklahoma State game was the game after the bye mm-hmm. week and so Kansas came out the game plan was was perfect. you know the guys looked so much so much fresher. If you come into that bye week with all the confidence that comes with being six and one with being bowl eligible you have an extra week to prepare for oklahoma and oklahoma's bye week is this week and then they get ucfs and then kansas and so they don't have that extra week in there if you have that extra week's prep time you've got oklahoma coming to lawrence for presumably potentially a sellout i did see ticket prices are are starting to get up there. So if you want to get your tickets, you know, get them quickly. Uh, I I think that that could have all the impact in the world. I'm not saying Kansas, hey, Kansas is going to go beat Oklahoma, but I am saying a scenario where you would feel like, okay, Kansas is is trouble sitting here waiting for Oklahoma. I think kind of starts with them beating Oklahoma State this week.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think so much of – this game this week with the KU and Oklahoma state, like <clears throat> there's, there's short-term medium-term and long-term implications. Sure. You know, in the short term, you get your first win in Stillwater since 2007. Right. Yep. We've seen over time, right. KU's checked off these boxes, right. First off, it was winning your first game in Austin ever. Then last year's winning your first game in West Virginia ever. This year, they've got the chance to make a similar type of, of step forward. And, In the medium term, that would guarantee Kansas would enter the bye week ranked and come out of the bye week ranked, right? You're not going to drop Kansas out if they're on a bye week. So then you're looking at anything else,
1: people around you are going to lose. And, you know, maybe you're a top 20 team at that point, number eight or whatever. Yeah.
0: And then you go into the Oklahoma game and it's KU versus Oklahoma, a ranked matchup in Lawrence. Kevin, I don't know if you've looked at the schedule for that weekend, but it's kind of bad there's a realistic possibility where like a big noon kickoff would decide to go to Lawrence yeah, because it's big 12 title game implications with Kansas having one loss in the big 12 and Oklahoma, and they're not going to lose UCF Oklahoma having zero losses in the big 12. And it's a big game then, and it will be a sellout. Like if it's not a sellout, we've got some bigger conversations to have about everything going around, going on, but there's that. And then long-term, It's another bowl season, and KU's not going to lose six straight, you know, or five straight, I should say, to end a season. So you're talking about the possibility of a winning season and ending or, you know, winning season at the end of the year. So I just think overall, right, a win this week would be so huge. And for KU, it's also one of those where it's like, yeah, maybe KU would wish they played Oklahoma State like three weeks ago sure. in the first week oh, big sure. play, when they're still not great. But I also think K state did not look great in that game against Oklahoma state on Friday, but this is just a game for me. I, there's so much that KU can gain from it. What does KU lose if they lose some momentum? Yeah. Maybe there's not many eyeballs on the Oklahoma game, but I think this is one where KU's got a lot to play for. And I just don't think a lot to lose because there's the bye week after to lick your wounds and, and get ready to go. And so, I think this is a game where KU can gain a lot.
1: Yeah, and I think you know Will Howard put the ball in danger in that game, which was was something that you know you would think that Kansas let, let's assume it's Jason Bean again. Kansas probably isn't going to put the ball in danger a whole lot, you Not know. Three and times. Per- yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and even beyond that, you know, Kansas State defensively, I, I think is really searching for some things right now. We talked about last week how one of the major defensive improvements that we've seen is guys trusting in each other and trusting that I'm just going to do my job because I trust that you're going to do your job. Mm -hmm. Kansas State's pressing a little bit. Guys Mm -hmm. are over-pursuing. Guys are you know trying to do a little too much to kind of make that play. And I thought Oklahoma State hit on some big plays because of that over-pursuit and things like that. And so you absolutely would have loved to to play Oklahoma State when they're rotating, you know, three or four quarterbacks through, you know, I think Alan Bowman is going to be their guy now, you know, kind of like what we all thought heading into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, Oklahoma State's got some interesting skill position guys, they've got some weapons there defensively. You know, maybe they found a young player or two. This is still a game, even with it being in Stillwater, where if you're feeling like, hey, we should be a legitimate Big 12, you know, candidate to uh, to go to that title game. You know, this yeah. this is a game you should go there and win.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. And look, the betting spread. The, yeah, the betting spread for this game is at, I believe, like anywhere between kind of one and three. And I feel like that's probably pretty accurate. I've not looked at it on Monday morning here. But for me, I look at this game and say, okay, if this was Kansas at home, what is the spread? And yeah. I'd say from anywhere from seven to 10 points, right? Especially yeah. with how good KU's been at home. And then it's going to be a little shorter on the road, obviously. But I think now KU's got something to prove in terms of being a more consistent road team, right? Yeah. So far this season, they laid an egg at Nevada. Weren't really, you know, obviously the quarterback situation did not help. But, you know, on the road at Austin, wasn't a great performance. And even last year, right? I think there were times last year where the road performances late in the season weren't up to snuff of what maybe you'd expect. So I think this is an interesting spread for this game, and I think KU also has something to prove in terms of just can you go on the road and beat a Big 12 team that I think a lot of
1: people still think KU is better than. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And and I think, you know, even with Kansas State seeming disinterested, I mean, Kansas State had chances. And and so I think, you know, this is a game where you feel like, hey, you know, Kansas, even with, you know, I, I'm not trying to say this in a negative way, but Kansas with Jason Bean at quarterback in the way that, like you said, not that people feel that Jason Bean is bad, but they feel like Kansas is bad with Jason Bean, which I think is a different conversation. Even with all of that being there, I think you still feel like Kansas is the favorite in this game. And let's not forget. Jason Bean was terrific against Oklahoma State a year ago. That was a game where he was really, really good. He broke a, a really long touchdown run that was, you know, kind of helped salt that thing away. And mm. you know, with the way that Kansas was able to line up and run the ball with a less physical offensive line, uh, Devin Neal was was unbelievable. I'm pretty sure because Devin Neal, a lot of people don't realize this. Devin Neal picked up a vote from a coach last year for Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. It was Mike Gundy. And I'm guessing it was Mike Gundy after the performance that he had against Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that this is one of those games where if you're Lance Leipold, you go in, talk to your offensive line, and you say, look, that was a great game. That was perfect. That was exactly what we wanted. And and Leipold said that in his post-game press conference. He said, we told them that they had to be physical for us to win this football game. Mm-hmm. I think you have the same conversation, and you say, look, if we're going to win this game, you're going to need to line up and be better than the guys over there, and you're going to need to move them around. And And I think Kansas has the offense to do that.
0: Yeah, I think overall too, right? Jason Bean is 1-0 in potential bull clinchers <laughs> against State. Man, that's the State.
1: One of one. That's the stat.
0: Yeah, so it should be an interesting week. I'm really fascinated. I'll be headed down to Stillwater um for this game as well. Um Kevin, any final thoughts on this week before we get out of here?
1: No, I, I think it I think it'll also be an interesting week to see, you know, how Kansas's defensive line shows up because mm-hmm. It's another one of those weeks where I think with UCF, like we talked about beforehand, UCF has some pretty good skill talent and some athletic skill talent. And I think Oklahoma state has some pretty good skill talent and some athletic skill talent. I think that where you could see Kansas, you know, maybe having that advantage again is, is up front. And, and can Kansas make that two weeks in a row heading into the bye week where they hold Oklahoma state, say under 400 yards the defense has a good outing and everything. I think that could be really big for their confidence level moving forward too.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, look, every, every, every game, I think this season we get to learn more about Kansas in the program. And I think this is another one of those games where there's a lot you can learn about where Kansas is at, but obviously we'll have plenty of coverage um, coming your way this week. Another podcast coming this week as well with McLean Baxley, who covers Oklahoma state um, for 24 seven sports. But, Until then, thank you as always for listening to the Fog.net podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you're liking the videos, subscribing to the channel, dropping comments. It helps us out with the old algorithm. And same thing on the podcast platform of your choice. Please leave us just rating and reviews. We really appreciate it. Thanks as always for listening. Kevin, we'll talk to you next Sunday. Everyone else will talk to you here in the middle of this week.